0: This podcast is part of the ACAST Creator Network.
1: Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
0: Hello and welcome to the Stand with Hang Dunphy. Now, amid all the world's troubles in Ukraine, COVID crisis, and now the global warming effects really becoming very serious. We have another alarming crisis that will affect all of us. And it's to do with a world recession, economically, the dangers of a recession, the probability of a recession. And this weekend, for example, tech, which is so important to us, both Meta, the parent of Facebook and Twitter, now owned by Elon Musk, announced job losses, Twitter in particularly, brutal Elon Musk fashion. People were cut off from their emails, out of the office, gone. He's pulled back a little bit from that. But we are undoubtedly facing a massive crisis. Inflation is the most obvious example of this crisis. And we're joined now by one of our leading economists, Jim Power, to talk about how it's going to affect us, how it is affecting us. Jim, thank you very much for joining us. We've seen bad news before the crash of 2008. I don't think anybody will ever forget who was around at that time. And in the 80s, we also knew inflation, high interest rates, emigration, and a great deal of suffering and poverty. In your opinion, Jim, where does this present economic crisis stand among all the ones that you've seen?
1: Okay. Um, hi, Eamon. Good good to talk again. Yeah, I mean, we've those of us of a certain age have lived through many events like this. We had the two oil price shocks in 73 and 79, which caused global recession. And um, then in the early 1980s, um, one of the consequences of oil prices was that inflation took off. Paul Volcker, the chairman of the U.S. Federal Reserve at the time, adopted an incredibly aggressive approach to kill inflation, increased interest rates dramatically, forced the U.S. economy into a deep recession, which resonated throughout the rest of the world. So a very, very difficult period. Uh, then we came into the 90s, and the 90s was relatively smooth. Um, you know, we, we had Black Monday and a few other major stock market crashes. But economically, the 90s were okay. Then in the early 2000s, we had the bursting of the dot-com bubble, which caused recession in the United States. Um, Turned out to be pretty mild. And the impact on the rest of the world was pretty mild. And then, of course, the big one hit us in 2007, 2008, with the global financial crisis, the implosion of the global banking system. And um, a lot of economies basically fell off a cliff at that stage, particularly Ireland, which was heavily exposed um, on the bank lending side and generally on the debt side, particularly the personal sector. So a very, very difficult period. And um, we're, we're still in some ways living with some of the legacy of that. I mean, we see the latest story from the Department of Finance. It continues to run down. It's shareholding in AIB. It's now down to 57%. So we're still seeing that great financial crisis, the global financial crisis um, impacting here in Ireland. The legacy is still around. Um, Then, of course, in March 2020, we had um, the arrival of a global pandemic, which caused many economies literally to fall off a cliff again. Uh, We saw massive government intervention through tax cuts and spending increases. We also saw central bankers ramping up money supply printing or quantitative easing and also cut interest rates down to the lowest level on record. And um, so an an incredibly difficult period caused by a health issue. Uh, But governments and central banks, I think, responded sensibly, responded strongly and prevented too much global fallout. But then As we came to the end of 2021 into 2022, we were dealing with the legacy of that COVID disruption. Um, Very strong global demand rebounding as restrictions were lifted, came up against serious supply problems and inflation took off. But the view back in January, February was that uh, this inflation surge would prove transitory and that as demand started to settle down again after a resurgence, And as supply chains start to come back on stream, that inflation would level off. Um, But of course, on February 24th, when Putin invaded Ukraine, um, all bets were off. You know, we've seen dramatic disruption to the global economy, supply chains. Inflation has taken off, serious energy crisis, food prices escalating rapidly, and um, inflation is becoming deeply embedded in the system. And central bankers are doing basically what Volcker did back in the early 80s. They're increasing interest rates aggressively to try and kill off the prospect of inflation becoming embedded in the system. So one of the reasons why um, I think we can conclude that there will be global recession, that particularly the states and more particularly the euro area, the UK, will go into recession over the coming months, if indeed they're not already in recession, um, is because central bankers will dictate that to be the case. Um, At the annual symposium of central bankers in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, back in late August, um, a number of global central bankers came out basically saying that they are in dread of inflation becoming embedded in the system that they will increase interest rates as much as necessary to try and prevent that from happening. And if that means recession, higher unemployment, so be it. It's a price worth paying to get inflation back under control. So on that point alone, um, looking at what central bankers are doing, um, you know, global recession, or at least recession in large parts of the global economy, does look inevitable. Um, I actually don't think this crisis is anything like as bad as 2007, 2008, because um, one of the big differences this time, as far as we know and understand, is that the global financial system, or at least the banking system, is relatively stable. We don't have the sort of dramatic imbalances, as far as we know, that we had back in 2007, 2008. And um, I remember a few years ago reading a piece of research from the International Monetary Fund. They looked back at recessions over 200 years and concluded that when a recession is caused by a shock to the financial system, it tends to be deeper and much more difficult to emerge from than if a recession is caused by some other type of shock, you know, such as oil prices or such as the implosion of the global tech system back in 2001-2002. So it's going to be an incredibly challenging 12-18 months ahead of us. I think there's no doubt about that. Uh, But I I don't think the legacy from this will be as bad as the 2007-2008 period. Famous last words, Eamon.
0: Yeah. Let me just ask you about the high interest rates and the effect they have on people with mortgages. Ireland appears to be in relatively good economic shape. You can correct me if I'm sure you will, if I'm wrong. But we do have the corporate tax from the multinationals, the tech companies that are here particularly, but pharma also. And we keep getting larger than expected dividends from that. Does that in any way ameliorate the situation for Ireland? well if you adopt i mean compared a, that, to Britain, yeah. for example, where we see the madness that cost Liz trust the prime ministership and quasi quaing his brief period as Chancellor, but they did something crazy which you know forced the Bank of England really to intervene and buy gilts, which are bonds, government bonds at a price of sixty billion or something
1: yeah i mean the 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 big difference between Ireland's budget on September 27th, which was an incredibly expansionary budget, 11.3 billion in expenditure increases and tax cuts, um, and in the equivalent term, not that different from what Quasi Quartang did in the UK. Um, and we know here in Ireland, you know, financial markets did not react at all to that, um, whereas we know in the UK, financial markets totally imploded, leading to the sacking of Quasi Quartang. And eventually, the resignation of the prime minister. Um, whereas in Ireland, as I say, there was absolutely no impact whatsoever on markets. And indeed, the, the few days that UK bond markets were falling out of bed, you know, the impact here on the Irish market was pretty muted.
0: Um, and and that, why? And, and it, the reason has, is has Pascal Donoghue, who was about to change his post because. The government now has reached the stage in mid December where Leo Vagta will appoint his own Minister for Finance. The whole government will change, actually. I mean, Micheál Martin will no longer be Taoiseach. Sure. Has Pascal Donahue done a good job, or are we just lucky?
1: Well, um, forgive my bias here, Eamon, but um, I would be kind of biased towards Pascal Donahue. Um, I think he's done a very good job, I think he's a good finance minister. And I look back at the last budget in October 2019, the last budget before the impending general election in February 2020. Um, At that stage, Pascal Donoghue, um, you know, obviously would have been tempted to go for a very expansionary budget package, as is the norm in the run up to an election. But instead, he adopted a very conservative approach. Fine Gael got wiped in the February 20 election. right? And many um, black ventures and so on in Fine Gael um, blamed Pascal Donahue's budgetary approach for um, the demise of the party. And I, I don't believe that to be the case. But anyway, that was the view. But of course, then when um, COVID hit in March 2020 and when a strong response was required from the Irish government, we had the fiscal resources to actually inject huge fiscal stimulus into the economy. And um, this, I guess, has culminated in September 27th when the $11.3 billion in tax cuts and expenditure increases that will be rolled out in the last couple of months of this year and into next year um, was funded out of budget surplus. And right. indeed, after that $11.3 billion, Is taken account of. We're still projected to run a budget surplus of one billion this year. I think it'd be much higher than that, and a budget surplus of over six billion next year. So, because of the strength of the economy, because of I think the relatively prudent approach to the public finances in the run up to 2020, we were in a position to do this. Um, So, but I would also say that you know we have been incredibly lucky. Um, yes. And okay, I guess the look, you make your own look and the, the, the sort of policy we have adopted as a country since the 1960s um, in trying to create foreign or generate foreign direct investment in the economy using initially a 10% corporation tax rate in the late 90s, I think 98, that was increased to 12.5%. Um, but we have created an incredibly positive environment for foreign direct investment Um, And and that has resulted in a situation where we have, at the end of last year, over 275,000 people directly employed in the multinational sector, another 220,000 jobs uh, directly dependent on those jobs. So we're talking about nearly 500,000 jobs directly and indirectly dependent on the multinational sector. And that's a fifth of the labor force here. Um, So that's been really important and we're also been, talking,
0: we, Jim. Yeah. Are we not? Sorry to interrupt. We're also talking about massive dependence. And in that context, can I ask you about the development? Last Friday, Twitter, they've backed off a little bit now, but they announced a 50% cut in Irish staff. What was Facebook is now Meta. They also announced job cuts. The fall in tech stocks in the United States in particular, has, has been quite dramatic. Is there anything there that we should worry about?
1: Okay. Um, you know, w- w- one of the pieces of luck um, that has befallen the Irish government and Pascal over the last few years is that the global tech sector has been booming, and this has generated massive tax revenue buoyancy here. Um, we have, in the first 10 months of this year, we collected just over 16 billion in corporation tax. And for the year as a whole, we're likely to come in close to 21 billion. Um, 10 years ago, we'd have been looking to collect 4 billion. So, but then you, when you delve into those very positive corporation tax stats, yes. you know, you discover that 85% of those taxes approximately emanate from the multinational sector and 10 companies account for. Over fifty-five percent of the corporation tax take. So Ireland has a very strong concentration risk. In other words, we are very heavily dependent on a small number of multinational companies. And over the last couple of years, every time I heard one of the tech companies uh, reporting record profits in the um, in Silicon Valley or wherever, um, I rub my hands here thinking this is going to reflect itself in. Tax revenue buoyancy in Ireland. Um, and, and that has been the case. But now we're starting to see the flip side. Uh, the global tech bubble is bursting. Um, I think there's no doubt about that. I mean, it, it's much different than the sort of burst that occurred back in 2001, 2002. But basically, the global tech sector um, has expanded dramatically in terms of employment all around the world. Ireland has been a major beneficiary of that. But as Patrick Collison of Stripe said last week when he was announcing over a thousand job layoffs yes. in that company, but he basically said that his company um, over-anticipated the future growth in 22 and 23 in the internet economy, as he described it, and that um, because of the global crisis crisis, that um, that sort of growth is not going to materialize. And as a consequence, they're starting to lay off workers. And I think you're going to see that building across the tech sector. So for for Ireland, that is an obvious risk. But I I would say, Eamon, if you look at the the breakdown of our multinational sector, um, 65% of our merchandise exports, that is exports of goods rather than services of goods, in the first eight months of this year, um, was contributed by the chemical and pharmaceutical yes. sector. So, And the chemical and pharmaceutical sector is, is nothing like as exposed to these global economic forces as the tech sector would right. be, for example. So we're lucky in that we have a strong part of our multinational base, a strong anchor from chemical and pharma, But having said that, if you look here in Dublin at you know the contribution that Facebook, Google, LinkedIn, all of those make to employment and economic activity in the city, particularly, but indeed all over the country, you know you can see there is an obvious vulnerability there. There's no doubt about it. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place.
0: small businesses, Jim, and the impact of high interest rates on small businesses and, of course, on people who are employed. One hears anecdotally of businesses closing, high streets no longer as thriving as they once were, and the impossibility, they say, in many small businesses, of actually getting staff. Is that happening? And if that happens, what can be done?
1: Yeah, we, we, we're, we're, in a, we're in a strange sort of a situation here in Ireland at the moment. Um, you know, at one level, many economic indicators are really strong. Exports were up by over 30% in the first eight months of the year. And it wasn't just chemical and pharma driving that. The agri-food sector doing very well. We had an unemployment rate of 4.3% of the labor force in October, which is virtually full employment. At the end of June, we had over 2.55 million people in employment, which is a record level. And um, The exchequer finances, as I've described, are still incredibly buoyant because tax revenues are growing strongly across the board. So the economy is still showing very strong momentum, but things are starting to turn. Consumer confidence is now back at a level seen in March 20, which is when the pandemic was declared. And prior to that, the second half of 2008, during the global financial crisis or the early stages of that. And we're now starting to see that um, translating into a much more cautious consumer. Um, The volume of retail sales in September was 7% down on the same month last year. Um, So clearly, people are very concerned about the future and that is now starting to impact on their spending behaviour. And of course, when consumers start to cut back on their spending behaviour, it's the SME sector that is most vulnerable to that in areas such as um, the retail sector, the hospitality sector, and indeed other parts of the retail sector that are driven by what we would describe as discretionary rather than necessary consumer spending those sectors will be seriously exposed. And of course, this reduction in demand, these more difficult trading conditions come on top of a massive escalation in the cost of doing business for the SME sector. Um, the energy situation is the one that stands out. But most costs of doing business for uh, the SME sector, you know, are increasing significantly. Uh, we We have still, despite the changing nature of the economy now, the slowdown coming true. Uh, we're still seeing for many small businesses, the recruitment and retention of workers is a massive problem. Labor costs are rising. Insurance costs are still rising. Energy costs are you know, clearly um, at really elevated levels. And of course, with central bankers moving interest rates up, Um, that's going to impact on the debt servicing costs for many highly indebted SME. So I'd be very, very concerned about the plight of the SME sector um, over the next 12 months, uh, because I I think the environment is going to be um, very, very difficult. Um, One thing, of course, that might cause some reduction in labor market tensions would be you know if you continue to see job job layoffs in the tech sector uh well that could free up labor supply to some extent and that may help um SME businesses you know address labor supply shortages so it's an unusual economy aim in the sense that despite a, a pretty negative prognosis for the business environment for many SMEs uh they're still coping with difficulty in recruiting and retaining labor. It's a strange sort of a situation. But, you know, what, what you'd expect to happen is that over the coming months, you know, as demand slows down, as unemployment starts to rise, that these labor market pressures will start to ease. But of course, being able to hire labor is no use in an environment where your demand is starting to disappear. So it's, it's, it's going to be a very, very challenging uh, 12-month period. And, and that's why you know, I, I do think it's, it's important insofar as possible that government does as much as possible to provide ongoing support to the SME sector to see them through these very difficult times.
0: Now, one other factor is interesting, Jim, and that is two banks leaving. And we're going to be left with two banks. Can that possibly be good for consumers or indeed for customers, particularly small businesses, actually?
1: Well, um, Permanent TSB would beg to differ with you on that, Eamon. <laughs> permanent TSB would see themselves as uh, a third part of the banking pillar here. Right. Um, I. I actually think, strictly
0: speaking, well, I'm not going to fight with permanent TSB. <laughs> don't it <Damon. laughs> No, I'm not because that's where my bloody money is. <laughs> I fig- I figured that. Um,
1: no, I was I what, what I was going to say is I'm we, very sorry, Mister <laughs> Bank Manager. We we basically have a, a two and a half bank system at right. this stage. And am I in and, the half bank? <laughs> exactly. But uh, no, it, it is it is a dreadful situation when you see. Uh, And those of us of a certain age, again, would feel a sense of deja vu here. You know, we're going back to an environment where uh, the whole banking sector is dominated by a couple of big players, um, AIB and Bank of Ireland in this case, and as I say, Permanent TSB, a smaller player, but still relatively significant. But no, um, this, in my view, is bad news for business. It's bad news for consumers, because when you have a lack of competition, yes. The financial institutions will exploit that. You know, margins will be higher. Um, They will be much more selective about who they lend money to. So um, I I think it's a serious structural problem in the economy. Uh, And I have argued for a decade, and nobody listens as nobody ever listens to me, but I have argued for over a decade that it is time to revisit the notion of an ACC or an ICC of the past. I mean, the Agricultural Credit Corporation and the Industrial Credit Corporation were two state-owned banks that focused in on specific parts of the economy. And supported them. Yes, exactly. And And I would fear, despite all of the rhetoric from the banks in terms of their advertising, I would really fear that the SME sector will not get the banking support it requires. So I think it's time to bring in a new player that is totally focused on supporting those businesses. It is not going to happen. The government has no interest. The Department of Finance has no interest. Um, But I I still think it's worth throwing out there as a notion. So in answering your question, Eamon, I think what's been happening in the Irish banking system um, is bad news for the economy. It's bad news for consumers, but it's particularly bad news for the SME sector. And of any other SME sector in virtually any other country in the world, our SME sector is much more dependent on bank finance than non-bank finance.
0: Um, Why don't the government do something about this? It seems to me, and it'll probably seem to many of our listeners, a glaring omission and a real genuine need.
1: Well, I could be cynical about this, Eamon, and say, you know, wh- why bother? I mean, the, the multinational sector has been doing so well. It's been creating so many jobs. It's been creating so much tax revenue. You know, there's not a problem. Why bother? But this is when the, the, uh, the, the, these problems are exposed. Well, I mean,
0: SMEs, as, as I understand it, yeah. well, they employ 65% of the people. Who are in employment here. So they have to be protected, do they not? Yeah, 99.1%
1: of businesses in the private sector in Ireland are SME, in the sense they employ less than 250 people. Uh, they employ about 65% of total business employment in the economy. This is excluding the public sector. So, and of course, the SME sector is an incredibly important driver of rural and regional economic activity because um you know in in the sm- small towns and villages around the country um you're not going to go around the corner and find a multinational employing a thousand people these SMEs um in in many different areas of activity they are the backbone of many regional and rural economies and uh in my view they deserve a lot more attention than they currently get um, right. I think they in many ways they've been largely ignored because as i say um why bother when the multinational sector is doing so well? Right. But of course, when the multinational sector goes into decline, or at least parts of it, like tech, now, yes. um, uh, you know, the focus will come back on the SMEs as well. And I just think it is necessary to intervene as much as possible to ensure that the operating environment for the SME sector is as positive as possible. You know, people will come back. I guess, in the comments on this podcast and argue, well, you know, if SMEs can't stand their own two feet, so be it, let them disappear. Um, You you can adopt that sort of attitude. But if you do, we will all be significantly worse off as a result, and particularly rural and regional economic activity will be decimated. So I, I think there is a strong argument to be made for Significant support for the SME sector when market failure exists. And I think there is an element of market failure at the moment, um, not least because of what's happening in the banking sector.
0: Okay, let me ask you a final question, or actually two, I suppose, wrapped up in one. People with mortgages are going to suffer now, Jim, and it could be quite serious stuff. Can you confirm that? And the other thing is, how long? Are we going to be, this is probably an impossible question to answer because so much depends on the Putin's war in Ukraine and other variables that we can't control. But how long is this period of struggle going to exist? And what about people with mortgages? Should they be fixed or should they be variable?
1: Um, They, uh, what differentiates us somewhat from where we were 10 or 12 years ago on the mortgage side is that there's a much higher proportion of people on fixed rate mortgages today than in the past. In the past, we were very heavily exposed to variable mortgage rates. So in other words, when interest rates increase, yes. we were immediately hit. We now have, um, and I, I forget the exact percentage, but we have a significant proportion of people that are now on fixed mortgages and that are relatively immune from uh, what's happening on the interest rate front. Um, but then we have people on variable mortgages, they're going to be hit, um, but who's going to be hit even worse are people who have really benefited from low interest rates in recent years. That is those that are on um, tracker mortgages. You right. know They have effectively seen a, two and a, half, a 2% increase in rates over the last um, three or four months, and you're likely to see probably another 1% over the coming months. So for those people um, on the tracker mortgages, they are going to be hit hard financially. Um, For people on other non-tracker variable rates, uh, the banks haven't yet fully passed on the ECB rate hikes, and it remains to be seen if they will or not. But the bottom line is, if you're not on a fixed mortgage, you are going to see a significant increase in your outlay on servicing your mortgage over the coming months. And unfortunately, these increased outlays come on top of already rising expenses from energy, particularly, yeah, and, and, food, and food, of, of course, course. Also, food yes. price inflation running at ten point two percent in September. So, there's, there's significant pressure coming on the personal sector here, and that's why, you know, as I said earlier, consumer confidence is justifiably at very low levels. Consumer spending is now justifiably starting to slow down, um, and these are the pressures that are feeding into that. So for for, for, for certain segments of the personal sector, it is going to be an incredibly challenging 12-month period. Um, as you said there, um, how quickly this ends will be very heavily determined by what Putin does. And, yes. uh, and the problem there is that it's certainly not obvious to me what the off-ramp is for Putin at the no. moment. Exactly. You know, how does this yeah. war end? Is there a danger that it just drags on indefinitely and that we continue to see huge uncertainty about energy supply and about food and that this global supply um, chain crisis just continues to boil away for the indefinite future? You know, that's the nightmare scenario. Um, you, you would hope that sense or some sort of solution Will eventually present itself as, as soon as possible, uh, but for the moment, um, I just two words sum it all up for me: intense uncertainty. Um, you know, there's 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 just so much geopolitically to worry yes. about at the moment, and of course, uh, the US midterms you can throw into the mix as well. And not likely to be pleasant.
0: Mr. Trump will be back as well. Yeah. Okay, Jim. I think I'll go and put my head on the duvet now. <laughs> Thank, Thank you very much for joining us. We really appreciate all the contributions you make, particularly in rough times like this. We're grateful to Jim Power, to all of you for listening. That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon.